Hello and welcome to the Bungler Cricket Podcast. I'm Roshan and in this episode we will be looking back at the West Indies tour of Bangladesh. Now for the first time ever on this podcast I have two guests so this could be complete chaos. I'd like to welcome back Santoki from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast who joined me earlier this month for a preview of the series. Hello Santoki. Hey Roshan, glad to be back on and didn't think I would be back on to discuss a historic West Indies test victory but we'll get on to that I'm sure. And also joining me, much like the Bangladesh cricket team, returning after a year, Tawhid Qureshi from the Sight Screen Cricket Journal. Tawhid, thanks for joining me. Hi, Roshan. Great to be back and uh, very excited to be part of a, a brand new Freeway uh, podcast conversation. How are you both? And, and and have you both recovered from the 3.30am alarm clocks? Have you have your body clocks back to normal? Yeah, I'd say I'd say it actually did take me a few days. I kept on waking up at like 5 o'clock and then sort of 6am but um, yeah, I, I'm certainly not missing the 3.30 a.m. starts. I was up about 6, 7 a.m. most days. I could never get up at half three um, to watch it. But um, in the end, I, I did get to see the, the crucial moments, in, in particularly in the test series. I tell you what, also, from my perspective as well, at, at one point there were, I think, three games going on at the same time. And I was able to watch um, through sort of an iPad, a TV and the laptop, um, the Bangladesh game, the the, the South Africa-Pakistan match and the England-India. And I love cricket, but I'll tell you something, at like five o'clock in the morning, it's quite disorientating having that much test cricket going on at the same time. I mean, it's actually really difficult to concentrate on two games of cricket going on at the same time. So yeah, stuck to uh, stuck to Bangladesh in the main. And, and a good choice in the end. Um, so let's, let's sort of like go back to before this series started. And I, and I remember speaking to Santoki on the preview episode and saying, I found it quite a hard series to preview because normally when you preview a series you can go on recent performances you go on current form you go on knowledge of the opposition but those sort of almost key factors were were thrown out the window and I found it quite difficult to predict how a, a Bangladesh side out of action for a year would go against a West Indies squad that was so sort of inexperienced so Santoki I'll start with you there was so much talk about the squad selection um uh, and, and who was going to go and who wasn't going to go and there was talk of you know it was it to do with bubbles or was it a fear because Bangladesh's sort of systems and COVID security may not be uh, 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 as good as maybe you know England's or New Zealand's um, was that decision vindicated in hindsight? I think in terms of the ODIs no because um, the ODIs kind of went to form it in terms of um, West Indies being comprehensively outplayed across the three ODIs which you would expect um, in terms of the test matches what it did do was the withdrawals allowed players who had performed on the domestic scene and who had put up big runs and had big averages, they were finally given a spot to prove themselves, which they did manage to do. So in the ODIs, it wasn't vindicated. In the test, I, I would say it was. And Tauhid, from a Bangladesh perspective, hosting a home series where, as far as I sort of followed, there weren't any major casualties in terms of COVID positive test results. Um, surely this sends out a message that Bangladesh is open for business. Yeah, absolutely it does. And obviously there was all the talk about sort of the missing uh, big name players from, from the West Indies uh, squad that, that, that didn't turn up precisely mainly because of uh, kind of fears around uh, the robustness of the bio bubbles that, that have been set up. But but as you say, I think that the very fact that, uh, you know, the whole tour went off without a hitch uh, as, like you say, as far as I'm aware, no issues with people kind of breaking uh, the, the bubble, um, no issues in terms of people being tested positive. So, yeah, I think it sends out a really good message to uh, 
the rest of the uh, cricket world. Yeah, I, th- I think all eyes are on that England tour in October and I think passing this first test will go a long way to encouraging other teams to tour, fingers crossed. Um, let's start with the one-day series then. So 3-0 to Bangladesh, 30 points on the uh, the World Cup Super League. Uh, job done for Bangladesh? Was it, you know, was it a professional job in the end? Yeah, I think it was really. I think it was a thoroughly professional performance. You know, they, they did exactly what was required of them. Um, you know, they, they beat the team that was there, uh, that was that was put there against them, really. They couldn't really do much more than that. I did worry, I'm not going to lie, in the first two matches, I mean, when Bangladesh was sort of, I guess, taking their time to, to, to get to the totals, and I, I sort of understood why they were playing the way they did. They were playing cautiously, they had the time, they had the intelligence, they played sensibly, but it took until, I think, the, for me, the third ODI to, to see Bangladesh really click into gear and go for it and like you know try and score at a good rate and try and hit six and over and actually showed the difference between themselves and this this West Indies side because I, th- I think for me actually the first two ODIs were quite frustrating I think the first you know to get 120 runs in 33 overs is slow you know but Bangladesh obviously were, were taking kind of slightly sensible route I think um and and doing the job safely and doing it professionally I think that for me ultimately became the kind of the word it was a professional job it wasn't you know the going out and sort of slashing bats and Trying to trying to win inside fifteen overs because you know net run rate wasn't going to make too much of a difference. A win's a win, um, but yeah, at the same time, I don't know how much we learnt. Like, great to see Shaki back. Great to see also sort of Bangladesh really leaning on their paces a little bit more, which I thought was really great. It was great to see people like Hassan Mahmood um, in the first, particularly in the first one day international. I think at one point he was on a hat trick, which you know, which was just incredible to see for for, for a young bowler. Um, and others, you know, like kind of you know Cypher, Din Tuskin, Fizz, all sort of actually kind of playing and actually quite well for, for pace bowlers in Bangladesh. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think uh, the yeah, the big kind of um, plus uh, to come out of it for Bangladesh was, yeah, on on the fast bowling front. So, yeah, Hassan Mahmood certainly uh, really did impress in those first couple of games. Um, and, yeah, the, the hope is that, you know, we see... We see much more of him going forward. But yeah, just to kind of touch on your point about, yeah, those two chases in the first two games, yeah, they weren't great to watch, I agree. Um, but having said that, you know, I can totally understand um, the, the approach and the tactics uh, that were employed in terms of, yeah, let's not do it in 15 overs or 20 overs. Let's take as much time as we need to to get over the line. You know, having having not played for so long, you know, it's a bit like watching a Mourinho team maybe where you know, <laughs> the, the result is everything and the means to get there uh, aren't always the prettiest. Well, that's a brave statement to say with a with a Spurs fan on the uh, other end of the line. <laughs> <laughs> so, if if the one day series was business as usual, the Test series for me was far from it. Um, and where to start? I guess firstly by congratulating West Indies for a remarkable Test series win. I mean, Santoki, how big a deal is this win? Massive, massive. I think the fact that it was running concurrently with the England India. Um, test match and it stole the headlines emphasizes just in terms of cricketing records how important it was I mean the highest ever chase in Asia set 395 to win they managed to do it Carl Mayers on debut scoring 210 not out just the whole the whole makeup of the tour you've got this squad who a second string squad flying out to Bangladesh unfamiliar conditions lack of preparation time nobody giving them a chance including myself and most West Indies fans and somehow managing to pull out a win against an experienced Bangladesh side is just completely remarkable. And um, 
full full accolades up to this whole squad. They've certainly stood up and um, made themselves count in in the test. And so, Tahir, for for Bangladesh, I guess the big question is where did it go wrong? Yeah, there's so many different factors, aren't there, that you can kind of pinpoint. Obviously, Shakib not being there for for the whole series, a huge drawback. Although personally, I don't know, I don't I don't like to use that as as too much of an excuse, I suppose, because. Um, you know, I personally feel that Bangladesh should have enough strength in depth to uh, to be able to kind of you know cater for his absence against you know a West Indies team that on paper certainly at the start of the series you would think were were, were definitely second favourites to win. And then yeah, obviously you know the pursuing of this kind of maddening uh, approach of uh, a spin heavy attack. I know I'm pretty sure we talked about this a year ago. I'm pretty sure we've been talking about it for years. And I don't know, I, part of me feels we could be well sort of talking about it in, in years to come as well. But yeah, it just, it, it kind of, yeah, beggars belief a little bit. Certainly, you know, going into that second test, particularly where, um, you know, Mr. Fizz, I thought, had bowled okay in that first test. He, he took a couple of wickets. He was, you know, the, the new thing that they're talking about is how he's developed this delivery that kind of takes the ball or brings the ball back into the right hand. You can kind of see uh, elements of that in, in his bowling. So, yeah, it was really encouraging. And then, obviously, they don't play him in the uh, second test, but they play Abu Dayed, who, you know, absolutely deserves his place. I was really glad that he was in there. But but not to play him and Mustafiz at the same time just just seemed really kind of illogical. I mean, maybe it's hindsight, but I certainly think one of those spinners could could have been dropped. So really naive if you look out, look at those the trio spinners in in that final uh test, he could have been the one to go if you look at his contribution in terms of selection. And then just finally yeah, in terms of captaincy, not not great for a moment. Uh, well, it wasn't great, certainly on that last day of the first test. He looked a bit bereft uh, of ideas and inspiration. Uh, probably went a bit too defensive too early in that run chase. Um, so, yeah, combination of all those things. Yeah, I think I think clear clear kind of questions with the kind of experience that Momino had with his captaincy, and obviously that's going to grow and that needs time. And I can I respect that because he's a quality player. Psychologically, yeah, I think it's going to be hard if you're one of four bowlers, and so really you're only two of you ever in tandem, and you're going and you're toiling. You know, you know, even when the ball gets taken off you, you're only a few overs from coming back on and so it is tiring you don't get that kind of breathing space I thought we had moved on from that because in the one day series we leaned on our paces we leaned on the fast bowlers in the last one day international we used eight different bowlers eight different bowlers and okay not all of them are full-time bowlers but we'd bowled West Indies out for sort of below 200 three times on the trot I don't know white ball cricket is different to test cricket etc etc but it looked like we were moving in the right direction so then to fully revert back you know, to see a scorecard with only four bowlers, it looked like I was playing um, international cricket captain and, and, and forgotten to put a, a, put a bowler in or something. It was like that. Um, and, and they toiled and they really did toil. You know, OK, Mehdi had a, a, a great series. And then, you know, why are we choosing between Fizz and Abu Jayad? Both of them are good enough to be in the team. Both of them should be in the team. And like it, it just it just frustrated me because as soon as like West India started to kick on in that chase, I was like, well, this is it. What, who do we throw the ball to? Okay, Mehdi's bowling at the moment, fine. You throw the ball, you can't, you know, there's no one you go, right, 
here's a ball, go for it. And even if we had, in the absence of Shakib, even someone like Marmadulla, who I know gets criticised as a test player, but actually probably scored more runs in his last few series than Nazmul Shante, who I'm going to get onto in a moment. I've got another rant for that. I, I couldn't get my head round the logic in, in reverting back to a spin-heavy attack. And for me, that was a fundamental flaw because the, the, kind of, the, the reliance on the pace had worked from the one-day series. It had worked. And I don't know why they reverted back to it with so few options. Absolutely agree. I mean, the one thing they did, so Shakib did obviously start that first test. He kind of uh, went off, limped off, I think, on day two. So in effect, they did kind of have five bowlers, I guess, you know, including Shakib. Um, but yeah, certainly they went in with four spinners. Just, yeah, just seemed like such a total kind of backward step. And and actually, it was quite interesting, the comments from the, uh, the BCB president at the end of the game, where even he was kind of bemoaning it. But the thing for me, it just seemed that, you know, the bowlers they just did not turn up. Um, it seemed that they were just waiting for things to happen rather than, you know, kind of being proactive, making things happen. And then, yeah, like, you know, we said it before, the captaincy wasn't great. I mean, Tumin was off the field for the first two sessions as well. I think he had some sort of hand injury. Um, and then, you know, it's difficult to, to, to work out what's happening when you're watching on TV. But it, I thought it was a bit surprising. It didn't look like Mushafikur retributing in terms of, you know, providing his ideas and his thoughts on things so yeah there certainly was a bit of an absence of leadership yeah i, I mean you mentioned mushridge to become on that point i don't understand what was going on like they'd rested him from keeping they gave uh, i think they gave lit on the gloves so we obviously missed his sort of shouting from behind the stumps quite a lot actually if i'm honest um and then if you put him in the team to focus on his batting why wasn't he at number three and this i i mean i i couldn't get my head around the inclusion of Nazmul Hussain Shanto at number three in that team. Now, I'm happy to be persuaded, but for me, he just didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, you look at his his output through uh, through the series and actually through the, through the ODI series, just not good enough. I think in his defence, maybe, I guess, or, you know, the other side of the story is that he's a very young player. I think to to kind of blood a young player in at number three in test cricket is almost kind of unheard of. You're almost kind of setting someone up to fail. You know, I know the modern trend these days is for the best batsman to come in at number four, but I still feel, you know, having, you know, watched test cricket growing up, that generally the best players in the world, you know, your Brian Lawrence, et cetera, would come in at number three and really dictate the, uh, the innings. The other thing that I would point to is that most of the time he was coming in, the ball was still hard. So as a number three batsman, you know, you could kind of reasonably expect to at least come in after an hour's worth of play, at least let the openers put on 50 maybe. What I would like to see now is, OK, I think if he's dropped, that's that's absolutely fair enough. You can't really uh, argue against that decision. But what I would really like to see is that obviously the, the Bangladesh setup sort of see something in him. They, they kind of recognise that, that he has talent and he has ability. What would really disappoint me if he's just kind of cast aside, you know, he's just kind of uh, dropped and then that's it. Because I think that, that tends to happen a lot in Bangladesh cricket where players aren't really supported. Once they're out in the national setup, 
What I would like to see is how is he going to be supported in terms of getting back into the the, the, the first team. So, you know, how is he going to be um, directed in terms of, is he going to be given any particular coaching still? Um, you know, is he going to be supported through first-class cricket? Is he going to be playing in the A-team? So all of those questions, are, I think, are equally as important. Yeah, no, some very, very valid points there. I was thinking when you were talking about coming in uh, at number three early, but then also having flashbacks to sort of the noughties when Habibul Bashar quite often would probably be already at the crease by the second over in some of our earlier test performances. So I can never, I'm sort of not, not particularly forgiving of a, of a number three batsman who can't essentially face the new ball, I guess, in a way, particularly playing for Bangladesh. Yeah, I mean, he, he was put in there, basically. They wanted to try him out at number three. And do you know what? The one thing I would give the, 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 the Bangladesh selectors credit for is that after the one-day series, they didn't just axe him. They stuck with him and gave him time to find his feet, but he didn't find his feet. And I, I actually do feel sorry for him because I can't think of... Um, a, a number three batsman for Bangladesh who's come in and have to play straight away at number three. Everyone else has sort of worked their way up the order. If you think of all the people who've, who've filled that role post, I guess, post Habibul Bashar, really, um, from Shakib to Mamadullah, they've all sort of started lower down the order and worked their way up. Um, so so it is a lot of pressure on a 22-year-old man. Um, and so you're right. I hope they can have some sort of plan for him because he is a talented batsman he plays really well for Raj Shahi he played really well uh, for the under 19s and so he's a talent there they obviously see that in him it's just now developing it so he doesn't get kind of you know crushed by the system I think but yeah like if, if, for me I think he was a continual frustration of like why are they persisting with this guy why is he there at <laughs> number three especially with Mushfik being in the side to focus on the batting um, but still you know at the end of the day like I think big lessons for Bangladesh um, and but taking nothing away from the West Indies team because for as, as, as much as we can talk about what went wrong for Bangladesh, Santoki, things went right for the West Indies, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, heading into the second test, me and um, Michelle, my co-host on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, we were still pessimistic. We were like, OK, Bangladesh are going to come back strong here after the embarrassment of the first test. But we saw in the second test, in the first innings, we put up 409. Um, newcomers Josh De Silva and Nkrumah Bonner get into the 90s. And then Alzari Joseph, who had come in for Kemar Roach as a more attacking bowler, he put up 82, a quick-fire innings, which, I mean, once you score 400-plus in the test-first innings, it's very hard to lose from that position. And that gave us confidence. And then from after that, it was just a brilliant, brilliant period of test cricket, really. I mean, Bangladesh had a first innings deficit, but then they managed to bowl us out very quickly in 52 overs for 117. And then the chase was on 248, which which is, you can do it. It's, it's Obviously, it's tough in on, um, in terms of the conditions and being a fourth innings chase, but it's a very chaseable target. But it just sort of fell apart. Rakeem Cornwall, who kind of, I mean, a lot of people kind of make fun of him because of his size but he's a very effective spinner in Asia he's proved it um last year against Afghanistan in India he got a 10 10 wicket haul and then again in this test he picked up nine wickets so he's sort of become our Asian gun um and he was very effective and they kind of continued that kind of confidence and concentration and carried it forward into the second test historically in the past few years we've been very erratic we'll win a test and then lose the second test by an innings or so. So this was great to see that consistency and credit must go to Craig Brathwaite standing in as captain. He showed great tactical awareness in the second test. For instance, bringing himself on in the second innings of Bangladesh, um, Bangladesh's chase, getting three wickets. His field placements were brilliant. And this will undoubtedly bring pressure on Jason Holder, who is a great all-rounder, as we know. But in terms of captain, he's had five years of pretty much being hammered in most series 
which is going to have a massive mental effect on him. So again, in the Caribbean, there is some talk. Is Craig Bathwaite the man to kind of take over from Holder and take away that pressure? But in terms of focusing on this, brilliant, brilliant win for West Indies. No complaints. And yeah, I'm very happy. For West Indies then, like, do we see any major changes to the next home squad? Because I think you've got Sri Lanka next. Uh, and presumably some of the players who dropped out of, of this series will be available again. Do, do some of the players from this Bangladesh tour walk into the next squad? Yeah, 100%. I think um, a lot of the West Indies players who opted out will be sweating at the moment over their spots. Um, I think Carl Mayers... Um, Scoring a double century in the first test, you can't drop him. He has to make the squad. And Kruman Bonner, who showed the maturity to kind of put up big scores across both tests, um, he's definitely going to stay. Josh De Silva as well is going to stay. So you're looking at guys who have been in the West Indies setup for the past three, four years. Austin Chase, Shane Dalwich, um, also the likes of Darren Barber, who's recently returned. You're thinking at this point, they might be asked to go back to domestic cricket, which um, starts in April, put up some runs there and then be considered for the team. So it would not surprise me at all to see some big changes to the West Indian squad that faces uh, Sri Lanka at the end of the month, because at the end of the day, you've got to go with players in form and who have kind of stood up. Um, West Indies, so far in the past few years, we've been used to losing with the current crop of players. So to see these guys go to Bangladesh and put up a win, you have to give them a chance. And that's also kind of justifying the domestic setup and, and Kruma Bonas average 58 um, in the last domestic season Josh De Silva 50 Carl Mayers 50 so it's given a chance to players who have proved themselves in the domestic cricket that yeah they can make the step up which often hasn't been the belief in West Indies there's often been a belief that domestic cricket doesn't really prove much because of the competition but this shows how valid a, a strong domestic system is and these guys have proven that players who perform at, at the domestic level can indeed make the step up so from a Bangladeshi perspective I guess it will be interesting to kind of see because I did see a tweet from I think it was Mohammed Izam the ESPN cricket um, correspondent who did say in 2021 test cricket is an afterthought for Bangladesh uh, it'd be kind of interesting to get your sentiments on that kind of statement yeah, I think that's nothing new for Bangladesh, though. I think, you know, one-day cricket has always taken uh, not so much a priority, but, like, our performances have always been stronger. We've progressed quicker. So in that sense, um, it, it's always sort of, I think, had more popularity. But you combine that with this West Indies series where there were three one-day internationals at the start of a campaign to qualify for a World Cup where points were very gettable and Bangladesh are really looking to qualify for that 2023 World Cup. And then you had two test matches, which were, in the test championships, essentially dead rubbers. It's almost inevitable that, particularly in this series, the one-day cricket was going to take precedence. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, historically, you look at Bangladesh's best performances. They've come in ODI cricket, in, in white ball ODI cricket. So, you know, white ball cricket has always kind of taken precedence over um, the red ball um but yeah it's at the, but at the same time i find it incredibly sad um that it, it, it is regarded as an afterthought i'm not sure it's regarded as an afterthought by everybody in the game but i would say certainly if you look at um yeah i guess you look at the cricket board and you know their kind of thinking and i guess where their priorities lie it's quite clear that it's it's not really uh, in the Red Bull game, unfortunately. Well, gentlemen, it was a fascinating and and brilliant series. Um, certainly not the kind of outcome that I was expecting. I'm sure same for the, for the both of you. But I guess all that's left to say is, well, thank you to the West Indies for coming to Bangladesh because it was so good 
to have cricket back, international cricket back, test cricket and one day cricket back, um, and also show that Bangladesh could host international cricket. That's so important going forward. Um, Tawhid Santoki, thank you so much for coming on and joining me on this podcast today. Thank you. Great being on. Thank you. And um, hopefully the quality of this series encourages a channel on um, in the UK to pick up future Bangladesh matches. Oh, yeah. Do you know, do- dodgy streams at 5am are not the one, honestly. honestly. No, definitely not. <laughs> oh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. And thank you for listening to the Bangla Cricket Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email podcast at bunglacricket.co.uk and we'll see you for the next one very soon. <laughs>